Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I'll talk with renowned naturopathic physician, Dr. Ginger Nash. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and I am tickled to welcome Dr. Ginger Nash to the podcast. Uh, Full disclosure, Ginger is a close personal friend of uh, myself and my wife, Debbie Applegate. Uh, Ginger graduated from the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in 1998. She's a doctor. She's a special kind of doctor. She's a naturopathic doctor. She'll talk about that. Uh, She's got 20 plus years of clinical practice. She's worked with thousands of women on natural hormonal balance without the use of hormone replacement. Complex homeopathy, herbal medicine, and neutrogenomics are the therapeutic cornerstones of her practice. Ginger is a very special human being. Uh, She's a doctor uh, and she's a healer, Uh, but she is also a person of tremendous influence. People who know her um, want other people to know her. Uh, People who know her want to hang out with her. And uh, uh, Ginger, uh, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's really great to be here with you. And I'm looking forward to this very much. Uh, well, this is going to be uh, this is going to be fun, and I'm I'm delighted to introduce our audience to you. And uh, so, f- for starters, um, maybe you can explain uh, uh, how you got to where you are, how you got into natural medicine, and uh, how you got to be a, a trusted healthcare provider in this uh, brainiac community here in New Haven and and beyond. Well, it's funny because I was just thinking that you know you you already you already disclose that we're personal friends. And I actually, when I moved to New Haven, I moved in with you and Debbie on Lawrence Street. And uh, <laughs> that is a true story. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember when I first moved to the East Coast from Portland, Oregon, um, and I grew up in New York, so I'm an East Coaster and I was always kind of meant to be back here. But when I first moved to New Haven, I felt like I needed to get t-shirts made that said what a naturopathic physician is. Like, no, I'm not a massage therapist. No, I'm not a chiropractor. I am a, a doctor and I am licensed as a primary care physician in, um, not in Connecticut, unfortunately, but in many states that license naturopathic doctors, uh, we do function as primary care doctors. Um, but it was just really, you know, this was way back in the, the yesteryear of 1999 when I moved here. So I think there's a lot more consciousness now around natural medicine or alternative medicine, holistic medicine. Um, but when I first discovered it, there was really only two, two or no, there were three schools in the country. And I was uh, the tender age of 24 and I had a major health crisis of my own. I was working in a health food store, so I was already kind of crunchy. I was living in San Diego, California. Um, so I, I was already, you know, dabbling in vegetarianism and various, uh, you know, uh, alternative lifestyle habits. And then I started having major problems with my periods and I ended up, I didn't have health insurance. 
I was a, a college student. I, I was a grad student actually in the history of medicine. So I have a background in, in, in medicine from a, a, from a history perspective, which I think has, has made me a good doctor. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and, and I'm guessing at a young age, studying the history of medicine, uh, you were able to see, well, sure, allopathic medicine has a lot to offer, but it also has a lot of blind spots. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it really gave me a wonderful uh, opportunity to not be as insecure as some of my colleagues when we were going through school, because I knew that there were these competing medals of uh, models rather of medicine throughout, you know, history, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, you know, these are really ancient traditions. And of course, you know, modern medicine ha has incredibly changed the face of how we live and, and our health, but there are some really beautiful uh, things, aspects of more ancient traditional medicine, uh, you know, systems that, that I was exposed to and also exposed to the limitations, like you said, the blind spots, you know, studying the history of medicine and the way that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at, at a person's health and healing. Um, naturopathic medicine usually focuses on chronic conditions. You know, if you break your arm or you need surgery, um, you're not going to go see a naturopathic doctor. So a lot of the chronic uh, complaints that I work with is really not as well suited to allopathic medicine or modern medicine because of this sort of idea that there's just one specific etiology of, of disease and that, you know, you can take a drug or an antibiotic or get surgery or whatever to, to heal yourself. So, so that was kind of the situation I was in unbeknownst to me as a 24 year old, I had been taking oral contraceptives, the birth control pill, like many of millions of women. Um, and it was really messing up with my hormones. And I ended up, I ended up with a 30 centimeter, which is the size of a volleyball, um, ovarian cyst that was really wreaking havoc on my body. Um, but I didn't have health. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have health insurance. It's actually the largest type of cysts that grow in the body, these mucinous cyst adenomas. And I finally, my mom actually worked at a, at a women's health clinic in San Diego. And I finally was able to get in after hours and get an ultrasound. And I will never forget this, Bruce, because, you know, looking back, if I had known then or if I hadn't been so young or whatever, but the ultrasound technician, you know, they're not allowed to, to say anything about what's going on. So she, she printed out my results of the ultrasound and she sealed it up in an envelope and um, told me to go home and, and come back the next morning to the clinic and get in line to see a doctor. So I didn't wow. open the envelope. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I did not open the envelope. I was 24 and I was like, okay, this is what I was told to do by this technician, um, not even a doctor, but a person of authority. And um, I came back the next morning and I waited at this um, you know, clinic that, that was really geared toward the underserved population of San Diego. So most, most people were uh, Spanish speakers and I sat there all day waiting in this crowded waiting room thinking, you know, my God, you know, this is like the experiences of a lot of women every day, um, just really not feeling empowered around what was happening to my body. 
And then once I finally got into the doctor, it turns out, you know, I had this huge cyst and, you know, he, he, he mentioned just in passing that it was about a 30% chance that it was cancer, which yeah, later turned out to be not true at all. And then sort of just abruptly left the room and I was in tears and went out to the waiting, you know, I got dressed and went out to the waiting room uh, or to the reception desk. And I was like, what's, what's happening here? You know, like what, what is the doctor telling me? And he came out of another exam room and just came, saw that I was upset in the hallway and, and came up to me and said, oh, you need surgery. You need surgery like immediately. And, uh, and I, I said, okay, you know, and he made this, I'll never forget this. He made this, he took his hand and sort of like made this motion across my lower abdomen. Like, oh, you need, you need, you need to get this cut out. (laughs) Yeah, it was really horrific. It was really horrific. So, uh, that began a long process that I won't bore the listeners with, of trying to get into a a facility that would be able to give me surgery and trying to get it covered because I didn't have health insurance. And as it turned out, I I had to go through this county medical services, but it took weeks and I, I had really no idea. So I went home and this was, you know, before the internet, before Google. And so I'm trying to figure out what, what type of cyst this is, what surgery, whether I might have cancer, whether I was going to be able to have children. It was really, it was really just a traumatic experience. That, that it's, it sounds uh, very frightening and very traumatic. And, um, and also uh, I'm, I appreciate the, the details because what, what I'm hearing is that like many mission driven professionals, like many people who, who commit themselves to mission driven work, this started for you with your own entanglement with the medical system and, and with your own healthcare needs and with seeing firsthand the limitations of the healthcare system and the limitations of the medical care that was available to you. And at what point did that motivate you or inspire you to become a doctor? So I, I got at, so I ended up getting this major abdominal surgery, thankfully only lost one ovary and fallopian tube. My other ovary and my uterus were just fine, but the recovery was pretty intense. And, um, it was my 25th birthday, March 28th, 19, that I got out of the hospital and I had 27 staples in my, in my abdomen. She was. And I remember I've never had another experience like this in my life. I had what I would call a true epiphany. I was laying in bed on my back, looking down at my, you know, Frankenstein belly. (laughs) And, um, I thought, you know what? I knew I was working as a research assistant for a professor in the women's studies department who was writing a book about naturopathic medicine. So I knew that naturopathic medicine existed. And I, I had this epiphany that like, I was going to drop out of my master's program, my PhD, you know, MA PhD program and go to naturopathic medical school. And I, I've never looked back. I woke up the next morning. I called the three schools that were in existence, one of which was in Phoenix, Arizona, which was only in its first year. Um, But I got, you know. Very warm. Yeah, 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 (laughs) very warm. Um, And I was living, but I was living in San Diego, so I was used to warm, but but I, I got brochures mailed to me and then I quit my, I quit my history of medicine uh, program and I 
I started doing uh, science prerequisites and that was it. And I, I was, you know, from the outset and I, I have a practice that's focused on women's health. And, and so really my experience was definitely informed by, you know, or informed my desire to help women, you know, understand their bodies, understand the options that they have vis-a-vis the medical system and really kind of be a go-between. And that's, that's a lot of what I've ended up doing is really kind of, you know, translating between traditional medicine and natural medicine or allopathic medicine and now natural medicine, what, what women's options are and what they might be able to, you know, accomplish without the use of drugs or hormone replacement or birth control pills in terms of their, their health and well-being. So, and so, so mission is what inspired you um, and how important is mission uh, for you and your working life uh, at this stage? I mean, that was uh, 20 years ago or something. And uh, here you are. Uh, I guess that was more than 20 years ago because you, you've been here going on 22 years. Uh, so h- how much is, you know, every day you get up and what you're doing is mission driven work. I mean, of course you're healing, but uh, uh, how much is that what drives you still? It drives me quite a bit. I mean, so much so that uh, a couple years back for my 50th birthday, I decided to start a second business <laughs> called Feminology, which is a, an online platform. And that was really to make some of my knowledge and wisdom available to people that may not have access to naturopathic medicine uh, just because of, you know, economics. Um, you know, I, I, I have the the option to work within the insurance system, but the insurance system is really not geared toward the kind of medicine that I do. So because I've opted out of working with that, uh, you know, working as an in-network provider, um, I, I felt it was important to, you know, give women information that might be helpful and might be educational and resources and just, uh, spread the word as much as possible. So I would say it's still very much part of my work and, and really has sort of grown because now I'm not just, you know, imparting that information to my patients one-on-one, but I'm hopefully, you know, I do a lot of podcast interviews. I do a lot of, you know, social media and share a lot of content. And that's just kind of how things have moved, you know, with the information revolution. And you were you. I know you were uh, spent a fair amount of time in medical education, um, teaching at uh, the University of Bridgeport's College of Naturopathic Medicine for what six years. Yep, I was a clinical uh, supervisor there. I didn't teach any of the academics, but I also worked for some private companies that do a lot of education uh, in conjunction with the you know medicines that they manufacture. Um, so I did for many years. Went on the road and and taught seminars uh, around the country and throughout Canada for, you know, around these topics of, you know, what naturopathic medicine is and nutrigenomics and um, complex homeopathy and a, bu- a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. And I know, I know you, you uh, spend time giving seminars and uh, lectures and uh, that this, as you mentioned, your online community for women, feminology. And so, so this really is a calling uh, to spread the word, but you also, you're still seeing patients. Oh yeah. I see patients and that's my, you know, that's my bread and butter. And 
there's a lot that, uh, you know, <laughs> in the wake of the pandemic, there's been a lot of, I mean, I would say I was busier this past year than I've ever been. And, you know, I've been busy, but this, this past year was, was really significant uh, in terms of people being concerned and needing good information. Unfortunately, uh, we know that misinformation and disinformation campaigns have permeated pretty much every aspect of our society, and naturopathic medicine is certainly no exception. So I've also started, uh, I co-founded another organization this past year with um, about 12 of, of my other colleagues called the Naturopathic Alliance, and it was um, formed. We put out a statement, which we got, you know, hundreds of signatories for, but it was really formed uh, in April of 2020 to combat misinformation and disinformation about the pandemic, about the virus, about the vaccine. And, um, you know, it's been kind of alarming, Bruce, to see some of the distortions of information. So yeah, I'm very much mission driven in sort of all aspects of my work. Um, so yeah, seeing patients is, is, is still, I love it. I'll never give up my clinical role. Um, but I, I also do my best to reach a wider audience than, than I can, than I can do in one week. You know, there's only so many patients I can see in a week. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, 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 I get that. And um, and you, you've always been, at least in, in my lights uh, or by my lights, uh, you've always been a, a relationship person. People gravitate to you. What, 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 what do you suppose it is that, you know, I, I'm very interested in this, uh, this thing that makes uh, other people drawn to each other, uh, that what makes somebody a go-to person, I call it real influence when uh, when you're authentic, when you treat other people with respect, when you tune into other people's needs, when you deliver on your promises and don't promise what you can't deliver. And what's your perspective on that? I mean, what, what, what is it? Uh, you're, you're very much a relationship person. How would you describe your approach to relationships? That's funny because my, my husband, whose dad is a doctor, uh, was an internist for many years, is, is long retired, like your dad. Um, but he but Steve would always say, my husband would always say that my father-in-law and I don't practice medicine all that differently, even though he, he was a, you know, traditionally trained internist because it was relationship-based medicine. So I, I think that, I mean, I'd like to think that that all those qualities that you just described, I'd, I'd love to think that that's the kind of provider I am for people, um, someone that you know, is responsive to needs. And uh, also, as I already mentioned, just I, I like to think I can process a lot of information pretty quickly, um, you know, because naturopathic doctors have to know about all of the natural therapeutics, but we have to know about, you know, we're trained in Western pathology and diagnosis. We have to know about physiology from, from a traditional perspective as well. So it's, it's a ton of information to process and help people make decisions. And I think that's been, you know, in the light of the pandemic, I, 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 you know, I produce these newsletters um, monthly, and I've, of course, been talking a lot about the virus and the vaccine and what to do. And I've had so much positive feedback, like, thank you so much. You've really helped me decide what I need to do. And I, I think that that you're absolutely right. I am a relationship person. I, I, 
I take my relationships with my patients very seriously. I also try to walk a fine line of being the expert. I mean, I do have expertise and knowledge that my patients don't have, but also treating my patients with a tremendous amount of respect. No one knows their body better than the person inhabiting it. So, you know, I learn a tremendous amount from my patients about medicine and about healing and about, you know, what, what would help me be a more effective caregiver to people. I think that those are all things that I've aspired to over the course of my career. And I have patients that have been seeing me for 20 years. <laughs> so it's wonderful. I, I love that. And you, you also have uh, colleagues who are uh, also uh, doctors and uh, healthcare providers, both naturopathic and um, in, in related fields. And you, you have to navigate those relationships as well. Absolutely. And one thing I say to patients all the time is like, hey, I'm not a zealot, you know, I'm not an anti whatever. <laughs> um, I'm not, I refer to specialists all the time uh, in terms of specialist medical doctors. You know, I'm always open to being wrong about things, but I'm going to give people my understanding of what's happening with them. And I'm not opposed to all drugs. I mean, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, I mean, I'm licensed to prescribe in every other state that licenses naturopathic physicians. Unfortunately, we don't have a federal license, so it's state to state. And Connecticut has the most restrictive. It has the oldest law in the country, and it's the most restrictive. So we don't have a, a, a pharmacy uh, formulary here, which we've been trying to work on for many years. But it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's, and that's a holdover from some of the bias against um, uh, non-allopathic medicine, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, Connecticut is kind of an old-fashioned state. Uh, I'm admitted to the bar in a couple of states, but not in Connecticut. Now, in my case, that's by design because I don't want anyone to make the mistake of taking legal advice from me. <laughs> but, 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 um, but, but, you know, I, I, I love what you're saying because uh, you said you're not afraid to be wrong. Uh, you're you're not a zealot. Uh, I think you know uh, zeal is is a positive trait, but being a zealot often closes people off to information and learning. And you're somebody, in my observation, uh, somebody who uh, learns in plain sight, which is you know something I think sometimes not smart people's view of what it looks like to be smart is that they know everything. Whereas smart people learn in plain sight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, there's times when, I mean, I get, we get, you know, there's a, a joke among naturopaths. We get the strange, rare and peculiars, the SRPs uh -huh. um, because, you know, people will come in and you, it just happened the other day. I, I did a, I did a new patient consult and, uh, you know, there was a diagnosis I had never heard of. And so if you understand physiology and you're not wedded to this black and white thinking um, that I think, you know, some of allopathic medicine really it is embedded in and is does a disservice to helping people in some cases, you know, not across the board, of course, but but it's really um, it's really great to be able to say, OK, let's let's understand the physiology behind this, the, the, the pathology behind this, and, and let's get to work using the natural agents that I'm aware of that are going to address this aspect of, of your body. 
and and anybody, any doctor, any doctor worth their salt would say that how complicated, you know, the human body is and how they're continually learning, you know? I yeah, mean, absolutely. And I, and I think that, um, just as, uh, naturopathy is probably, you know, an area of medicine that once people learn about it, they say, oh, well, that's an area of expertise uh, that can complement uh, other areas of medicine. Likewise, um, you know, that's true of expertise in general. Uh, I find that the, the more uh, people know, the more they realize uh, there's a lot they don't know. The more people know, the more they realize uh, that someone else's expertise could be valuable as well. Um, and, and I, I love what you said about, um, as, as a physician thinking about, uh, that people know their body better, that, that observing people, knowing people for a long time, learning from them about, you know, matching your expertise with their experience of their body. Uh, that's a great metaphor for how people really with expertise of any kind should interface with those who are trying to learn from their expertise. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, my my friend and colleague that started feminology with me, Dr. Tara Nyack, we talk all the time about like, what's our tagline, you know, and, and we really, we talk a lot, we use the phrase a lot, like women's lived experiences, because, uh, you know, we live in a patriarchy and very often uh, my patients are overwhelmingly women because women find that doctors aren't taking their pain as seriously uh, their their understanding of their own body as seriously so absolutely lived experience and then like you said matching my expertise to to that can be can be profoundly beneficial you know for patients absolutely and it's and it's you know i think other than people who you used the term crunchy earlier um but, but I think people who don't know about naturopathic medicine probably find out about it because they're not getting better by seeing a traditional doctor. Yeah. And, and it's, it's tough. You know, there's definitely people that are, that are desperate that I, I, I get prospective patient calls and emails regularly. And, you know, a lot of the times the patients that I see, um, I don't know if this will be surprising to you or not, Bruce, but like some of them have seen 20, 30 other doctors. Uh, and I think a great example of one of the things that I treat a lot of um, in the women's health world is the condition of endometriosis, which, you know, there's been a lot of research to suggest that it takes the average person, average woman, uh, 15 years to get a proper diagnosis. And these are like young women and girls that have been struggling with pelvic pain and fatigue and chronic problems, you know, for years, decades sometimes. And um, if a doctor or a caregiver can't really sympathize or understand what the patient in front of them is, is really talking about in terms of their own experiences, then that's, you know, that's not... That's not helpful. Yeah. And, and so let's take uh, to the bank the idea that um, going in uh, for treatment, um, having to struggle to get treatment, then having an authority figure seal in an envelope, uh, very important information about your health um, and not making it clear that, hey, this is about you. So by all means, open it. 
Um, and then having doctors say stuff to you like, oh yeah, huh? that's, that's, that's a volleyball you got in there. We're going to have to yank that out. And, 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 and it might be cancer, but uh, off you go now. Uh, so let's assume that's not the way to build trust and confidence. But I think, you know, what, what I'd like people to learn from your perspective is, you know, when somebody's health is at stake, when somebody comes to you after they've seen 20 plus doctors because their body doesn't feel right and nobody can help them. And of course, uh, you know, you have expertise, you have credentials, you've taught at a medical school, all that stuff. But, but what's your approach to, you know, uh, one of the things I write about in uh, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work is tuning into other people's needs and doing an intake memo, treating people's requests with respect to show them how you think, how you engage with their needs, how you try to address their needs. What, what's your approach when somebody comes in? How do you build that trust and confidence with somebody who, who is not somebody you know well? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I take a very thorough intake. Um, my history, for example, you know, how, how many people have had the opportunity to spend an hour, an hour and 15 minutes as a new patient talking to their medical doctor? Well, that's about how long my intake is for a new patient. Okay, so that's for starters, right? That, 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 that they're not going through this insurance regulated 14 um, minute appointment where somebody's uh, uh, on, on, a, on a clock. So they, so you spend more time with them. That's one thing. Spend more time. And then I am, I am using my clinical, you know, my, my antenna are constantly up and, you know, attuned to patterns of different types of um, pathology, different types of conditions. I will oftentimes suggest certain lab tests or evaluation to get more data to confirm my suspicions after taking a careful history. But then I think what you're talking about, Bruce, is really more about before anybody leaves my office, when I do an initial intake, I give them my assessment right there. I say, listen, this is what I think may be going on. This is the possibility. Or if I'm, you know, I'm sometimes I'm fairly certain, but, um, you know, I'm always talking them through my thinking process, my types of evaluation. And then, you know, as I said, like sometimes I do think it's important to get more data and sometimes it's not, um, depending on the complaint and, you know, the information that I've gathered through just taking a, a careful history. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm enlisting the patient in their own healing process. And I am doing that by giving them my assessment, taking them through what I'm thinking, but also verbally asking them to commit to the process that we're about to embark on and really hitting home some important things like, you know, it's different to, to work with natural medicine. It's not a quick fix. It's not a suppressive in the best of times <laughs> type of um, medical approach. In other words, you know, I'm going to address somebody's symptoms. I want to help them feel better. But sometimes that takes a lot more time than people are accustomed to with drugs and some of the allopathic interventions. So I think there's a, there's a contract that we're making um, when 
I wrap up and I sort of give my assessment. And then I always ask patients like, does that make sense? Or does that feel good to you? Or is this the way you want to go? Or, you know, I, I always ask a question just to make them think about what they're actually embarking on. And I've definitely had patients, I, I can remember them, you know, like where I'm going through that process toward the end of the visit when they've given their history and I can see their eyes glaze over like, nope, never going to see them again. <laughs> like seriously, like they, once they realize like, I'm not this, you know, I'm not some magical healer person, like it's going to be on them to potentially change either their dietary habits or learn how to, you know, manage stress more effectively or, you know, learn how to take some supplements regularly and really focusing on the kinds of things that they do on a daily basis that is, you know, therapy they do at home. So sometimes people just aren't up for that and, and that's fine, but I've, I've definitely had less of those folks. And, and as, you know, as my as I get further on in my career and I, I have a sort of different type of screening process of taking on new patients, but, um, but I can clearly remember times where it was like, oh yeah, cool. I'm going to go see the groovy, crunchy Dr. Nash. And then the person gets in my office and realizes that they're going to actually have to do some, you know, work to, to get better. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you telling me you don't have a magic wand, Ginger? Yeah, exactly, Bruce. That's that's the key. Actually, I have a patient who um, we would talk about this so often that she she made me a little magic wand and she brought it in for me. And so <laughs> that's perfect. You may or may not recall, but I do have a crystal ball because so many of my clients are like, "What's going to happen?" And I'm like, "Well, let me check my crystal ball." <laughs> right, right. So that's like. I haven't ever actually done it, but there's definitely been times where I'm like, I know that little magic wand is behind this bookshelf or whatever. <laughs> so a magic wand, you know, with some people would inspire confidence. Other people would get a little nervous. Um, I find that about the crystal ball as well. Um, but <laughs> yeah, some people, absolutely. Some people want to work with somebody who's like, I know exactly what's going on with you and it's going to take 12 weeks and you've got to just follow this to the nth degree. And I'm not that kind of, provider at all. Yeah. And, and what you're saying, um, uh, so, so you're, 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 you're describing a process of trust building that, you know, as you said, you're very good at taking in a lot of information and synthesizing it and, uh, and seeing patterns. So you said your antenna go up. So, uh, that means to me, what I hear is not only are you spending 75 minutes with somebody, which is an unusual experience in today's day and age of medicine, uh, but you're obviously asking a lot of questions and listening very carefully, and you are an expressive listener. So uh, while you don't actually have antenna, uh, I'm guessing you're, 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 you look like you do, you're like you're really tuning in. Yeah. Um, and tuning into somebody is a way of showing respect, uh, I think, for their needs. And um, and then and and you said also that you then share your uh, observations. And uh, if you have an analysis uh, at that stage, you let them know. And if you feel like you need more data, you let them know. So sometimes you have to say, well, we're going to have to do more, uh, more of an inquiry, but, but maybe you tell them, well, here's what I think maybe. So in other words, there's also transparency. Um, and you also said you're enlisting them in the process. And 
Um, and it sounds like, um, you know, you're making them partners in their own healing. It reminds me of karate where, you know, I'll bring people in and people think, you know, oh, you're, you're going to teach me a karate chop and then I'll be tough. And, you know, and, and, and often, you know, karate is more fun for people as an idea than a practice because, uh, you know, it's just got to practice a couple hours every day or, you know, what I often tell managers is, you know, they really just want me to give them, an, you know, give them license. Yeah, go ahead and fire that person. Whereas I say, probably you're going to need to spend weeks coaching and guiding and directing that person. You know, it's like take a walk every day and eat your vegetables. It's so often that's the authentic answer. That's what you, that's what people need to hear. That's what they need to do if they're going to get better whether it's as a leader or as a citizen or when it comes to their health. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but if that doesn't give somebody more confidence, uh, and I, I love the, the confidence with which, you know, you're saying, you know, gee, maybe the, I'm not the right doctor for you or you're not the right patient for me. Right, right. You've got to have a good fit. Absolutely. And that's something I'm totally upfront about as well. And, and uh, so, so this is why people trust you. What, what is it about someone else that, that, ins that, that makes you trust them? What is it, who are the people you look up to and what is it about someone else that makes you wanna emulate uh, their traits or characteristics? What do you look for in a person? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I guess a lot of the things that we've been talking about in terms of authenticity, for sure. I mean, I like people who are funny. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you've got to have a sense of humor. Um, and and I think that a commitment, like, a, like just not doing stuff half-assed, you know, like really people that are very committed to whatever their chosen path is in life. Um, and really willing to, to do the work um, and to recognize that there isn't a quick fix. And, you know, I'm just thinking about colleagues of mine that I, that I look up to and that have inspired me. And they're, they're definitely those people that aren't making promises they can't keep. And, and, there, and there's so much of that, you know, so I, I definitely, I, I really dislike a lot of the sort of uh, influencer um, mentality, at least in my profession. I think there's a lot of, you know, misleading type of playing on people that are, are, are really not, not in a position to, to really weigh all of the information. Yeah. I, I, I call that false influence when you try to manipulate or scare people or badger them or, you know, re real influence is a long, long game that comes from people looking back and saying, wow, you know, you were right about that. And the more you get that, the more you have influence because uh, people can see in the rear view mirror, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's a constant, you know, people that are constantly learning, people that are constantly interested in both the latest, you know, scientific research and, you know, working on themselves as a, as a provider at the same time. It's funny what you're saying about um, about false influence reminds me that I have a colleague who is um, who's very influential. She's a body worker, a rolfer, and she's had a very successful podcast for many years. Her name's Brooke Thomas, and she's a good friend. And we, you know, throughout the pandemic, have been walking together uh, regularly. And she and I have talked for years about writing a book, a a, com a comedy book 
um, called You're Doing It Wrong, um, because that's that's what a lot of people in our, you know, natural health world do. They just they they get online and their marketing is all about like you're breathing wrong, you're sitting wrong, you're meditating wrong, you're you know, you're doing this, that, the other thing you're, you know, and nutrition is like obviously a huge area of, of like conflicting opinions. But yeah, I think the people that I really look up to are are people like my friend Brooke who have been you know, doing really good, important work. And she's also an embodiment pra- practitioner and teacher. So it's really about tapping into that, like we said earlier, lived experience and respect for other people and respect for the complexity of, of being a healer and a doctor and a practitioner of any kind. Respect for the complexity of being a healer of any kind. It's really, I mean, the complexity of human life. Wow. Is that becoming more and more evident? Yeah. And I think, you know, you probably know this better than I do, but most people think their jobs are like the hardest job in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny. One of the things I've noticed is, you know, there's some people who look at others and think, how much could there be to that? Right. Um, And and my answer is always a lot more than it looks like. (laughs) Totally, totally. In, in every field, in every field, absolutely. And all you've all you've all you've got to do to confirm that is uh, look at your own uh, experience. How you know when somebody else says, "How much could there be to that?" The answer is almost always a lot more than you would think. Right, right. So I guess the people that really inspire me or that I would like to emulate are the people that are really acknowledging that. You know, just putting it out there. So there's a an honesty aspect of things as well. And just, that's what I'm attracted to. That's the kind of people that I want to be around that are like, that's why we're friends, you know, like you just said, like the complexity of human life, it's fascinating. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's crazy that we're, that we're here at all. And, you know, how can we move through the world and, and, and make it, you know, I mean, it sounds totally cheesy, but just make it a better place. You know, we're hardly here at all. So what are you going to do with this little amount of time we have? So, yeah. What are you going to do today, tomorrow, this week? And it's, um, it's, it's a long game, but it doesn't last that long. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Um, so, so, uh, let let me, uh, ask you my, my closing question is always, um, you know, what's your sort of elevator speech, uh, career advice for, um, for somebody who's earlier in their career or, you know, maybe somebody who's far along in their career, but they're listening to this and thinking, wow, how do I get to be like Ginger Nash? How do I get to be like this, uh, this esteemed doctor who is um, respected by all who know her? And, uh, you know, how, do, how, how does somebody get to be like you? I, I mean, I have a, I have a few younger docs that I've mentored and, I'm just thinking about one of them, you know, has said so often, like, you're the only person that's believed in me. So I think a lot of what I would say to people entering this field is, you know, believe in yourself and be open and be curious, uh, be willing to be wrong, (laughs) Um, you know, be willing to commit and study your ass off because like, (laughs) it's just a lot of a lot of, I mean, I still, I just did another uh, intensive two weekends ago on a, a 
organic acid testing, which is a new type of urinary metabolite testing. So it's like, it's just constant of learning and, and, and be willing to, to, you know, even regardless of how much experience you have, like be willing to stay open to that. But, but as a newer doc, I think it's more important to develop confidence and to recognize that if you're smart and you're, you know, willing to, to do the work, you can really, you know, so much you, I mean, coming out of naturopathic medical school, you know, it may feel like overwhelming and whatnot, but it's, it's really a matter of recognizing how, how desperately people do need this type of medicine because, you know, drugs and surgery don't work for a lot of chronic conditions. Um, so it's, it's really uh, finding a sense of confidence in, in what you can do. And if, as long as you're staying open and honest with your patients, you will develop that trust. You will develop that, you know, trust-based relationship medical practice. And uh, I think that's invaluable to people, invaluable. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. And I like your pairing, uh, believe in yourself and be confident with be willing to be wrong and keep learning like crazy, keep being open, keep being curious. Because the truth is, uh, you know, <laughs> the fact that you, that pe like I always feel like, you know, the fact that you still have a lot to learn doesn't mean you should be less confident. You know, somebody who thinks they don't have a lot to learn is not somebody uh, who inspires confidence in me. <laughs> right, right. Same here, same here. So uh, that's, that's fantastic advice. Uh, Dr. Ginger Nash, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Oh, no, this was great. I really feel so much better about the work I'm doing now that, that we've had this conversation, Bruce. So thank you. It's a gift. You are, you are awesome. It's a gift to our listeners. And uh, thank you, Ginger. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Bruce. In our next episode, I'll talk with John Bissell, president and CEO of Greylock Federal Credit Union, a $1.4 billion financial institution. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.